we've got a couple of young ladies that you just saw in the room right now. Their families are here, all right? Uh, they're, they're spread out on opposite sides of the room, all like 20 feet apart, but we've got them here in the building, all right? And so uh, we've also got some college graduates in our church family uh, who are watching this online, uh, uh, and so I can think of some off just off the top of my head who, who are also kind of in these new stages of life. They're in these, these moments where they're at a crossroads of, am I going to do A or am I going to do B? Or am I going to do B? This significant life change at the moment. So we have a couple of people or a handful of people in our church family, young adults who are trying right now to figure out their place in the world. They're trying to figure out where and, and what their next steps are going to be. And if this were happening in, in any other you know, like year on the calendar, that would be a massive undertaking. It would be a, a daunting task. Like I remember when I was that age, like 20 years, oh, oh gosh, was it 20 years ago? Can we edit that out? Yeah, so like I, I remember when I was at that moment, like 20 years ago now, or about 20 years ago now, so like this is normal graduate kind of stress. This is, this is the, the life that every graduate walks through as they're transitioning from childhood to adulthood. But let's be honest, 2020 is going to go down in the record books, right? It's an awkward year. And so understandably, there's a lot of confusion here. There is. There are a lot of questions that young adults have right now, and they're sitting around just kind of waiting for the shoe to drop to try to figure out what's going on, or what they can do, or what they're allowed to do, how far they can go. They've got a lot of questions that they're trying to answer, and they don't, they don't even really have the power right now to even begin answering those questions in a lot of ways. But here's the deal. I think we could just as easily step away from our graduating seniors? Because there are a whole bunch of grown-ups in our world uh, at this very moment who are living with the stress of the unknown. Right? The stress of the unknown. I, I, and I think it would be really, really easy for us in this season to let those kinds of major questions overwhelm us. I think it would be easy to allow the unknowns and to allow the things that are outside of our control to, to dictate and to mean more to us than they've actually earned. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to open up the Bible this morning and speak directly to our two young ladies who are in the room. All right. This is Senior Recognition Sunday. This day is supposed to be for them. And so technically speaking, I'm preaching a sermon to two girls. Everybody else is just kind of along for the ride. But I'm also willing to bet, mainly because our God is big and he seems to like working this way, but I'm willing to bet that many of us find ourselves in a very similar season right now. A very similar season. That I'm willing to bet that many of us find ourselves in a moment where the best advice of Jesus to our two young graduating ladies is actually the exact same advice that we all need to hear in this moment. I mean, does anybody doubt his goodness to plan that way? Does anybody think that that's just a little too much for him? I mean, that sounds good, but could Jesus actually pull that off? I think he could. And so, what does Jesus have to say 
to those who are staring down the barrel of an unknown and maybe even scary future? What are the words of Jesus to his followers who are, who are dealing with that kind of life change right now? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of Jesus' most famous teaching, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, Jesus says this in verse 25 of chapter 6. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. All right, so let's call time out there. All right, so there you go. Jesus says, don't be anxious. So everybody, shut your Bibles, we'll go home. Right? I mean, the Bible's either authoritative or it's, or it's not. Jesus has spoken what's left for us to say. Don't be anxious. Man, don't you just wish you could do that? Don't you just wish you could actually pull that off? Like, like you think you can just turn off anxiety like a light switch. Is that how it works for you? Has that been your experience? Go away, stress. I don't have time for you today. Now, there there are certainly deeper and more troubling forms of anxiety. I think God has given us good good resources in order to fight against those types. But Jesus here, he's speaking uh, about a type of anxiety that's more common to all of us. The kind that begins to, to bury you because time is running out and you don't have all your questions answered yet. And so the pressure builds and things start to crumble. And so I think all of us, myself included, myself especially, can say, yeah, I know exactly what that moment is like. I understand exactly what that moment is like. And Jesus simply says, don't be anxious. Don't do it. Am I the only one who thinks that that's not how it actually works for me? See, Jesus has this nasty habit of saying things that are completely upside down and backwards from the way that the world actually seems to work. Does it all the time. All the time. Uh, Upside down from how the world thinks. Completely backwards to to what's usually going on in our hearts and in our our heads. I I mean, any kind of honest reading of the gospel accounts is going to leave you feeling incredibly frustrated about a big old long list of stuff. It just is. Jesus says a lot of intentionally upside down things. He says it all the time. And if you read the Bible honestly, if you read it honestly like that, there are only really a couple of options available to us when we come to that fork in the road. Either A, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about, or B, Jesus might be the only one who knows what he's talking about. Those are really the only two options here. And sure, we can think critically, we can approach things in the Bible that that seems backwards to our sensibilities, and we can try to assess them at arm's length, you know, make sure that Jesus earns his place, earns his authority over the things he wants to talk about. Or, Or we can go ahead and be honest with ourselves and we can confess that he's a lot smarter than us. A lot smarter than us. The creator and king of the cosmos understands his creation better than me. He understands it better than I do. And so so if Jesus assumes that we can all handle our anxiety about the future this way, but this has not been our experience, then where's the disconnect? What are we missing? Well, Jesus' command to not be anxious 
it actually stands on the shoulders of something else. The very first word in this sentence is the word therefore. So let's find out what the therefore is therefore, right? Skip back to verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 6. Another incredibly familiar teaching of Jesus. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will uh, hate the one and, be, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right, so another one of Jesus' most famous teachings, right? All right? These are the kind, of, the kind of teachings that often people who have no church background could even still recite or paraphrase, right? And so it's one of Jesus' most famous teachings. He says, invest yourself in a future eternal kingdom rather than a temporary earthly one. That's what he says. Spend yourself gathering a heavenly treasure that can't be corrupted rather than spending yourself chasing after a treasure that's susceptible to failure. Chase after the uncorruptible treasure rather than the corruptible one. Now, is earthly treasure sinful? No. No, it's not, at least not necessarily. Is accumulating earthly treasure out of bounds for God's people? I don't, I don't think it is. Like there's some places in the Bible where Jesus seems to tell us to chase after those things in some ways. Jesus has multiple interactions with very wealthy people in the gospel accounts. Um, and he deals with each and every one of them differently. One guy, the rich young ruler, Jesus tells him to sell off everything he has before he can follow him again. And, 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 and so the question is why? Is, is that a requirement for following Jesus? Well, it was for that guy. It's because Jesus knows that that guy loves his money more than he loves Jesus, and Jesus calls him on it. Jesus knows that he's got an idolatry problem, so he says, ah, this is standing in the way. Get rid of it, and then you can follow me. But there's other guys, like Zacchaeus. Jesus doesn't give him that command. Jesus doesn't give him that command at all. But Jesus does celebrate when this guy decides to give most of his wealth away. So Jesus doesn't command it, but Jesus celebrates it there. And then there's guys like Matthew, the tax collector. He uses his money to throw Jesus a big old party. I bet it was banging. Matthew probably had some very shady friends. Jesus doesn't address his wealth at all. And when the Pharisees come and start complaining about stuff, Jesus defended Matthew's actions. He's like, no, this is right. This is good. Uh, we are here to celebrate. We are here to hang out. We're having a good time. You have guys like Joseph of Arimathea. His wealth is never discussed at all. Jesus gets to use his really nice tomb. Now, there are several times that Jesus talks about being wise stewards in the gospel accounts, and you should totally do that. But earthly treasure is not sinful in and of itself. Pursuing it can even be God-glorifying. It really can. 
It absolutely can. But, but Jesus here, with his upside down from this world wisdom, he says, hey, that treasure's got a shelf life. It, it, it's going to expire. You can chase it, go ahead, but it's a risky wager because it, it will one day be taken from you. Count on it. It will be taken from you. Time, moth, rust, it's coming. You will lose it. Whether in this life or the life to come, it does not last forever. It has a shelf life. And we can modernize it a little bit. I mean, find the wealthiest person you know and ask them how their portfolio is doing the last couple of months. Not looking so great. Our pesky little virus friend, it doesn't care that they were planning for their retirement. It doesn't care that they were saving up for that big purchase, that big vacation, that whatever. There are a lot of people in our world right now who have invested everything they can to chase after an earthly treasure, and they have learned the hard way that that can be taken from them in a moment without anything they can do to stop it. It's ripped out of their hands. Make no mistake about it. Jesus wants you to be wise with your stuff. He wants you to be wise with your money. He wants you to be wise with your time. He wants you to be wise with your attention. But the wisdom that Jesus calls you to has eternal goals in view and not just the temporary ones. There's a shrewdness that's buried in this command here that calls you to lift the level of your eyes and chase after things that will matter 10,000 years from now rather than just 50 or 60 years from now. It's not that 50 or 60 years from now doesn't matter at all. It definitely matters. Make wise choices. The Bible also commands us to, give, uh, to, to leave, uh, uh, leave something for our children. That, that's a command in the Bible. That's important. Uh, it's just that 50 to 60 years looks really, really really small in light of eternity. It really does. It'll be forgotten in light of eternity. And so Jesus tells you to pursue the wiser investment. Make smart decisions here, wiser decisions here. He says, invest yourself, spend yourself chasing after an eternal treasure that can't be affected by moth and rust, by thieves, or even by global pandemics. But shrewdness is not his only concern here. Look again at verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your, what's that word? Your heart will be also. Jesus says that, we, that what we chase after is what we will truly love. We might say we love other things. We might say, I value this more than I value that. But the king who created you and knows your heart intimately, girls, he's not fooled. Not, not one bit. We live in a world that likes to give lip service to all kinds of things. But the truth will always be revealed in what we spend our time and our energy chasing after. It always will. Regardless of what comes out of our mouths, we all, every one of us, myself included, we all invest ourselves in the things that we actually want. It's also true that we will all come to want the things that we discipline ourselves to invest in. If we truly chase it, the heart will follow. So in verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. 
two masters, it's a system that doesn't work. You might speak positively about this thing over here, but you're really going to be devoted to the one and despise that other one. You're going to chase after uh, and seek after one master, and you're going to always hate the other one because it pulls you away from that one master. What you spend your time and your money and your effort chasing after is where your heart is. It is the master that you will love and submit yourself to. The problem, though, is that it's a master that doesn't love you back. Nor does it ever seem to stick around for as long as we hope. Whether because of moth or rust or just because of old age and temperamental interests, those, those lesser investments, they, they always have a shelf life. Earthly treasures don't have the legs to keep up with eternal longings. They weren't created to. So it doesn't matter how cold and calculating you are, there's, that's always going to be a recipe for anxiety in this world. When everything you place your hope and your future in has the potential of being ripped away from you in a moment or of of being destroyed by things that you can't stop, when everything you invest yourself in ends up lording over you as a master that demands your whole heart and attention without any promise of reciprocating love, I mean, what option do you have but to worry about it? If that's the, I mean, there's no other game to play. If, if, that's, if that's what's on the table, if you've always got to be worried about this, like how could you not worry about this? And so ladies, Jesus' command here is 100% upside down from the wisdom of this world. Backwards and inside out. But again, Jesus either doesn't know what he's talking about or Jesus might be the only one who knows what he's talking about. And so the question emerges, what would happen if you truly loved and chased after an otherworldly treasure? What would happen? What What would happen if you spent yourself, truly spent yourself pursuing an eternal kingdom to come rather than desperately trying to build a temporary kingdom for yourself? What would happen if you leaned in and pursued a master who does love you back and promises an infinite return on your investment? I think the answer, I think the answer is that you would actually be freed from all of those things that produce anxiety about our future. You can flip the switch. It's not that those unknowns aren't there anymore. Jesus doesn't call you to pretend that they don't exist. He's not a don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain kind of God. That's not his style. Now see, anxiety about your future cannot survive when you properly view it through the lens of eternal realities. Those unanswered questions are suddenly a lot less important on an eternal scale. It's not that they don't matter. They just matter a whole lot less. 
So that's why in verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not, is not life more than food and body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore I, therefore do not be anxious. Saying, well, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When you spend your life pursuing eternal treasures and a heavenly kingdom, your master, the, the thing you spend all of your time and your attention chasing, your master is not just this thing out here that may or may not work out. Your master is a heavenly Father, a Father. It is a main piece of his good character to supply what you need. And so Jesus says, open your eyes and look around. Pay attention to what's going on here. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. They're all doing okay. The Father takes care of them. Better even than King Solomon, we're told. Do we have to spend time explaining to you that God cares about you more than the birds? slightly more important to him. Just a smidge. And Jesus says that worrying about those earthly things, that's what the Gentiles do. In other words, those who don't know God, those who don't know his character, those who don't have his promises, they worry about that stuff. But you, you know better. He's proven himself to you. Why would you doubt him? And so he says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, so Haley and Olivia. There are a lot of things in this world that you can and should pursue in your future. Many of them are good and needed in this world. It is my hope that both of you grow up to be really special people on this earth. Like, I, I want that desperately. And I know that both of you are already doing some really cool things, but my hope for you, like so many others that care for you deeply, is that God actually uses you to change this place. I want that. I want you to go up and do big, big things. And maybe those things are seen by everybody else, and maybe they're not. But I want you to forever change this place. I long for that. I pray for that. I beg God for that. And I know that, that y'all don't have all the particulars figured out yet. Some more than others. That's okay. It, it really is okay. There are a lot of people in this world who have stood exactly at the crossroads that you're staring at right now, and their lives look nothing at all like what they thought it would look like on that day, myself included. I promise you, there is nobody on the planet who thought 18-year-old Stephen was going to be a pastor. 
just a terrible idea. You don't have to have all the answers figured out yet. You don't have to have the next 60 years figured out yet. That day will come. It will come. But King Jesus, who either doesn't know what he's talking about or is the only one who knows what he's talking about, says, pursue my kingdom first and all those other lesser things, they'll work themselves out. They'll be added to you. King Jesus, he doesn't demand that you have your future plans figured out, but he does demand that you give him your future. That's his command. The thing that you've got to figure out is he's trustworthy enough to hang on to it. Is he trustworthy enough to hang on to? Is he trustworthy enough to lean into and chase after, even if everybody else you know doesn't think it's worthy of chasing after? Doesn't think that that's the smart investment and pursues other temporary treasures. And here's the deal, I can't answer that for you. I can't, and, and neither can your mom and dad, neither can friends who know Jesus. They can't answer that for you. That's something that you have to answer for yourself. That's on you. And so how will you answer? How will you answer? But listen, that's not just a question for a couple of young ladies graduating from high school. That's a question for each and every one of us in every season. For, for those who have already made the decision to follow Jesus, how do you invest yourself now, today? Are you chasing after a treasure that will matter 10,000 years from now? Earthly treasures, they aren't sinful or evil in and of themselves. They're not. They just have a shelf life. And even when they are new, they're still always susceptible to attack. But King Jesus offers you a wiser investment. Forget about lip service. He knows what's really going on in your heart. He knows what you're really chasing after. And you can't serve. You cannot serve two masters. It won't end well. It never ends well. Follower of Jesus, you can respond to God's word this morning by repenting of sin and by leaning into the God who loves you and sees reality better than you do who sees and understands how the world works and what you actually need better than you do. Why? Because he's created it and he's sovereign over it. He kind of understands the system. What earthly treasures is he calling you to set, to set down and pursue a better deal? And again, that's, that's going to be different for each and every one of us. There's no one size fits all to this. But our God is big enough and good enough to reveal those things to you. Our step is to listen and trust and obey. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. That's a, that's a time for you to respond to, to God's word this morning. Let's put some action to it. Right, we can respond in that way. We can, maybe you need to respond in a different way. Maybe it's by, uh, uh, by being obedient in baptism. Maybe it's by joining this church family. Maybe it's by uh, saying yes to the call of investing yourself, spending yourself in missions. Maybe that's how you need to respond this morning. Contact me this week. I'd love to help you process through what that response looks like. If you're watching this morning or you're here in person and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, 
I'm glad you're hanging out with us today. You can respond to God's word this morning too, and you do that by meeting Jesus. Hear me this, hear me on this. Investing yourself in a kingdom that you don't belong to doesn't simply sound foolish. It is foolish. Why would you invest yourself in a kingdom that you won't be a part of? By default, your sin separates you from a holy God. It deserves his wrath, but God made a way where there was no way. God himself came. Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us, and he lived a sinless life that neither you nor I are capable of living. He died on the cross as a sinless substitute, and he rose again from the grave as a vindication of his perfect righteousness. And he now calls on you as the king who conquered sin and death. He calls on you to respond to him as Savior and Lord, to, to, to turn away from your sin and turn to him in repentance and faith in the finished work on, his, on your behalf. And you can do that this morning. You, we may be separated through the internet, but you can do that right now. You can call on Jesus to save you. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to sing again. Jesus wants to give you himself. You don't need me, but man, I'd, I'd, I'd sure love to help you walk through that. We may be separated, but that doesn't mean we can't talk. Give me a call this week. Give me a call right after we're done here. Jump in the pastor's Q&A that's going to happen in a moment. Let's meet up at Wendy's. I don't know. I'd love to help you walk through what this response of repentance and faith is. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. But let's all take this moment to respond to God's word this morning. Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for Matthew 6 and an otherworldly offer. God, we confess that We confess that this is, this feels off. When everything else in the world tells us that, that we ought to chase after A rather than B, I, I need you to change my heart to want B more. Open our eyes to see the value of your kingdom. Open our eyes to see the security of your promises. Give us the courage to let go of the thing that's easier to chase after. Help us cling to you instead. God, in your bigness and in your goodness and in your great love for us, would you help us work out the answers of the who's, the what's, the why's, the when's, the how's? Not because we're anxious, but because you are the one who is in control and you're the one we want to follow. Remove anxiety from us in your presence. Cast it away. Kill it forever. God, for our two young ladies, as they make these massive life decisions, sometimes waiting on things outside of their control, sometimes trying to figure out what the, what the what's are even going to be. Would you show yourself near? Would you show yourself close, reveal yourself to them. I am confident that in that moment, 
All the other stuff will matter a lot less. And for those of us who know you, love you, or chasing after you, would you would you raise the level of our eyes and call us to wiser investments? Whatever those may be. And Father, for those who don't know you yet, would you make yourself known right now? Would they see you and be forever changed by you? Draw people into your kingdom in this moment. Help us be a church that walks faithfully alongside them as you do. In Jesus' name we pray.